previously on the Sick Invite podcast. Did somebody reassess Ferris and because you know Cam gets a lot of oh, a lot Cam. of attention for his. Uh, it is yeah, Cam, right? Yeah, we know. Right? Yeah, we know. I know. Just play the way you said Cam. You are now listening to the Sick Invite Podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is the Sick Invite Podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments, big or small, chronic or temporary. The Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. What is wrong with you? Oh! Very aggressive off the bat. I'm doing fine. Hey, are you still reading that thing, or is that just off the top of your head, like you've memorized? No, I still read the script like every to, single time. I like to think people are like when they listen to it, like our regular people that listen all every week. The you know they're just like saying it along with you. It's like like a sing along. Maybe they just skip through because I I skip through some other podcasts. Oh well, you know you're, you're you, well you do that with <laughs> books and you also do that with conversations as well. You just kind of you skim you're a, you skim. Yeah. And how are you today? Uh, I'm good. I got a li- nice little ginger ale here today. Oh, is that a, is that a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by Seagulls. See, well, don't say it. You're <laughs> leading into it with the sponsor. Listen, we're trying to really get some some uh, money for all of our hard work. We're past 50 episodes here, so now that we've got a good cachet of um, uh, a, a real uh, stock of stuff here, we're trying to really make some money. Yeah. So we'll take some sponsors <laughs> or make up sponsors. Yes. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Do you like our show? Please tell everyone about it. Follow us, like us, and share our content at The Sick Invite Podcast. We also have some merchandise available on our website, including our hoodies, mugs, stickers, and buttons. If you like the work that the Sick Invite podcast is doing, consider supporting us financially. We graciously accept donations of any amount. Your donation will help cover the cost of equipment, advertising, research, access, and time spent preparing for each interview. For $3 a month, Patreon members receive a monthly gift to early access episodes and bonus content. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do it uh, through the module on our website, thesickinvitepodcast.com. Please send us your story through our website. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and we will contact you with further instructions on how to come on our show. All right, so we have uh, the <clears throat> Q and Klaus is what I've been going by. The, I think that sounds a little too much like Q and on, so that's why I'm going with Klaus and A. <laughs> Klaus and A, which is, is for the folks who are listening for the first time, our uh, producer of this program is a gentleman named Klaus. Actually, I don't even know if it's a gentleman. It's a person named Klaus, and uh, normally he sends us notes uh, about the podcast, generally speaking, but they've become a little dull, so we've given him a task of, uh, actually it was his suggestion, but... Uh, to uh, answer questions from the audience. So if you have any questions for Klaus, feel free to uh, send them in uh, to the show to the, via email or via Instagram message. Um, but I have an g- interesting one today. It says, uh, Dear uh, Producer Klaus, um, from, from a listener here, Dear Professor Klaus, Professor Klaus, Dear Producer Klaus, <laughs> he, he wishes. Um, I'm interested in, and I just moved out of my parents' house and I'm looking about getting a mattress for my bedroom. Um, what would you recommend in terms of a mattress? And I don't mean uh, a brand. I just mean in terms of size. I'm a single individual. Should I go just stick with a twin or do I go all the way up to a king? Please respond accordingly. Klaus writes, Hello, listener. Thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate it. I've never owned a mattress myself. I always just sleep in a sleeping bag wherever available. If you want somebody to split the cost of the mattress with you, I'd be happy to take a part of it. Split a mattress. Like shared custody or are they snuggling up each night? Frankly, I think he'd be fine with either. (laughs) (laughs) On today's show, we have Christina Nowak Fox. Today we will be discussing sensitive topics including self-harm and sexual assault. If you are not in right headspace to hear these topics, please don't continue to listen today. So, Christina, what's wrong with you? So, I have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, Looking back, I've had it my whole life, and over my life, I've struggled with eight different subtypes, which I can talk about. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know, like, that OCD is kind of more of a spectrum disorder at this point, so there's a lot of different avenues, and... um, yeah, eight of them have been in my forte, which is a lot. But how, do you know how many? How many are there? 
That is a great question. Honestly, it seems like there are more and more every time I do my right. own research about it. Um, but uh, there's even more, like, I wrote my undergrad thesis on it, and there's even more from when I did that. So, um, Well, how many, like, so is eight, uh, like, a lot, or is that a yeah, little, or so, is that... so I counted out my eight of about a list of about 16, maybe. Right. 16 different... Um, things, but like for me, for example, I'll give you an example of the subtypes that I've experienced. So I've experienced just right OCD, which is um, like wanting to feel like things are just right or a certain way or needing to feel like connected to something or things like that. I've dealt with religious OCD, intrusive thoughts like during prayer and things like that and about my religion. Um, I've dealt with existential OCD about like just, you know, spirituality and like what is life and things like that. Um, contamination OCD, which is, um, the, the one that most people characterize, uh, OCD as like the hand washing, um, germaphobe, stuff like that. Um, I have also excoriation disorder, which is a subtype of OCD, which is in normal terms is skin picking, which is something that I'll get into later. Relationship OCD, harm OCD, and sexual intrusive thought OCD. So those are all mine. Um, I don't experience them all at once over those. That's just what I've experienced from about five years old till now. And I'm 26 now. So yeah. um, the subtypes kind of come and go over time, depending, and usually they just affect um, what people value the most. So if you value something a lot or if somebody with OCD really loves something that's really important to them, chances are that the intrusive thoughts are going to come up about it. And that's kind of what it latches onto, which is frustrating, but yeah. You know what's, um, I'm just thinking you didn't hear this episode yet because it didn't come out yet but we had somebody um who has Tourette syndrome um and they call called um their tics like seasonal that they were having so do you think that your compulsions are kind of like that or like coming in waves yeah you know it's a really interesting way to put it so like for me like I kind of like jotted down today because I was thinking about my like timeline right like when when did this all start and even just like signing up for this podcast and looking back it made me realize like wow this has been going on a lot longer than I think because I don't really take the time ever to like sit down and really like think about the roots right. but yeah like it does kind of come in waves like a couple maybe like six months ago or so like I definitely felt like the only term I had for it was like a relapse right like I felt stable for a while like intrusive thoughts were there and things were you know my normal OCD but suddenly it was like I had a wave of like I hadn't felt that way in years and suddenly it was like really bad again and and I had to deal with that and it kind of brought me to where I am now which is a better place and good and I'm glad that I'm here but um I would definitely say yeah for me it's less like seasonal and almost more like chapters because they're all a little different because like once I've kind of gone through an obsession and gone through that subtype it's usually a new subtype or um a new topic like in that subtype later on so so yeah do they kind of like phase out or do you just like wake up one day and the intrusive thought is no longer present So the way it works is like, so like OCD is a, it's a brain disorder. It's a mental disorder. It's mental illness, but it has to do with the neural pathways in your brain and how they connect, right? Like, so for a normal people say like, you'll have a thought and then you're on to the next thought where like somebody with OCD, their neural pathways bounce them all over like a pinball machine before coming to like, okay, I'm cool with this. So, um... So yeah, I I wouldn't say that the intrusive thoughts kind of just go away. It's almost like when your brain becomes bored of them or used to them, they kind of phase out and either you'll have a period of like, hey, I'm cool, or the OCD will kind of slowly latch on to something else. But that's something that like I've learned over a while because for a very long time, I didn't know I had OCD. But looking back, it's my OCD just like kind of phased in and out to different things. So like it was hard to pinpoint that it was OCD I was dealing with because I always thought it was like, oh, it's this trauma or oh, it's that experience I had. And like it took me 
until grad school to pin down myself what I was going through and then getting the proper help for it. So Well, I think we'll, ju- we'll get into kind of like the actual diagnosis and everything like that. But I guess I have a couple more questions just about OCD generally. So I apologize if any of these are, are silly questions. So it seems like OCD, as you mentioned, kind of with the brain and, and kind of the way it, it worked out. That seems like to be what it's what's going on, and then like the topic or like the the thought itself is kind of how you would describe those subsections, or are they all yeah? So different? it's whatever like the thought is about in that moment. So like oh, okay, that makes sense. right. So for example, like my one that I struggled with a lot in my adult life was relationship OCD. Um, so the thoughts might have something to do with like oh my god is this real love is this is this really my life or or like oh um he did this little tiny thing that that was a little red flag or like for example I will never I always use this example because it's just the easiest one to use when we first started dating me and my husband now I I knew something was different right away right away and I think because I knew that my OCD automatically like latched on like up oh, you valued this let's make sure that we're sure about everything so mm. every little thing was just like it was hard so we were on a walk one day and he like threw a cap to a water bottle or something down a drain because we couldn't find a couldn't find a garbage anywhere and like my brain went nuts my brain went from like oh he just had to throw that out or he didn't feel like carrying it to oh my god christina like you're like all about ocean like conservation and this and this and that like he just threw something he's gonna kill the dolphins that cap is gonna kill a sea turtle can you be with somebody for the rest of your life who's willing to kill a sea turtle but like that's not what happened obviously he didn't throw this cap down a drain to purposely kill a sea animal but like my brain has to process all these things before i can finally come to like this doesn't need to be that big of a deal it's okay it doesn't have to be defining so like that was that's like relationship ocd when the thoughts and the obsessions have to do with like a relationship and then so the other subtypes have to do with whatever that theme is you know i see i see that makes sense. Though I should say we are anti-littering on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. No, um, but is the idea that like an intrusive thought, and I'm sure we'll get into some this a little bit more detail, but just for my understanding of how it works, is an intrusive thought um, intrinsically a negative thought or, 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 or intrusive, like when the way it gets a label of an intrusive thought? Or is so it- an intrusive thought thought is typically something that like it triggers distress it doesn't match your values so how it it took me a really long time to figure out what thoughts of mine were intrusive and what thoughts were mine because when I first figured out this diagnosis I was like I'm not supposed to trust my brain like what is that like my brain is who I am I grew up thinking oh my thoughts are me but then you have to think like wait but not all these thoughts are who I am and who I identify as so like for example um the thoughts to to a person without OCD might be normal like for example somebody with um like sexual orientation OCD right which I had a little short bout of for a period of time it's like oh my god like uh, like oh maybe I'm into girls and like a normal person who is like into girls that's a totally fine thought and they're actually considering that but for someone like me that thought came up and I was distressed I was like oh my god I don't that's not me like I don't I don't identify with that like I know for a fact that that has nothing to do with me so what must that mean like does that mean something about me do I not know something about my inner self that like and and just triggers all this anxiety so I guess you could identify the intrusive thought by you know you either identify with your thoughts and they make sense to you or they're kind of just hitting you like bricks and they don't make sense and they're causing anxiety but the it seems like the determinant factor is the your reaction to it in terms of the distress or so an intrusive thought or I I should say it's but my question about OCD generally because I think people you know, most people have thoughts that they don't like or or people sometimes we talk to other folks that have different sort of mental things going on and they're not necessarily a negative thing. They are just a thing right. that they identify with. But it seems like with OCD particularly, what it leads to is like some sort of distress or something along those lines. And that's so that actually one of like the main characteristics, like something they look into when diagnosing is 
how long you're spending on your compulsions now for somebody yeah so for for like a normal person for example like a thought like oh like i might like what if i drove off this bridge like they'll be like oh god that was weird and just like out of their head but a person with ocd might sit in their car for the next 15 minutes thinking like oh my god like does that mean i'm suicidal oh my god why did i have that thought like or am i really gonna do that and and the amount of time that's sitting in that distress actually characterizes it as what makes it now you're over into the ocd kind of realm. i see i mm-hmm. see that makes sense i think that people sometimes i mean because there's the obvious misconceptions of ocd that we'll get into but i think sometimes you know the dangers of self-diagnosing people will hear uh, intrusive thoughts and automatically say oh well i have ocd but like we've all seen like the kermit the frog meme of like him with the like um cape on and like the hood and they're like what a cute baby kick the baby yeah that's that's an intrusive thought but like if you're not obsessing over it you don't have ocd right and that's Um, the difference because everybody has intrusive thoughts like everyone and that's a big thing that like i've had to learn too because like i'd have these thoughts that were like so crazy and like my husband's amazing like he sits down with me sometimes and he's like you don't think that like i've thought that once before in my life or that (laughs) or that i've had that same exact thing but like the difference is that you know he moves on with his day and for me I'm like oh my god like it's it's distressing and so you know I had to come to terms with like you know figuring that out for myself and being able to be like wow I'm not crazy other people do this too (laughs) like that makes sense yeah that's what you're saying so how are you uh managing let's talk about your diagnosis journey and your treatment like when did you realize that this was a problem for you that this was interfering with your life yeah, so um, the diagnosis story is an interesting one. It was really all over the place. And I mean, I'm sure I could say that for tons of people and obviously people that have been talking with you guys too, that, you know, um, it's it was a long journey. So basically, I didn't start going to therapy for OCD. I started going for, I was afraid Now, looking back, this makes sense, but I was afraid that I was going to get depression. And that in itself is my OCD. But so that's originally what I started um, the therapy for in college. But honestly, over the years, like back to like... I was like five years old and I I say I can't believe that my mom didn't pick up on these things but the only reason why I did eventually is because I went to school for this stuff so like I through psychoeducation learned what was going on with me as much as they say don't self-diagnose if I didn't then I would have never had a diagnosis mm-hmm. so So I was five years old and like I was ripping up my coloring pages because if I didn't have the colors in perfectly in the lines or if my pattern was didn't look right, I was ripping them up and starting over because I couldn't cope that it wasn't perfect. And then at like 10 years old, I was um, that was when I had contamination. I was washing my hands to the point where they were chapped and my parents were kind of just like, oh, it's just a phase like, you know, and then, you know, like seventh grade. Is when I started skin picking. Now that was interesting because when I started skin picking, I suddenly did not feel the need to wash my hands anymore. So that's where that like subtype came in where like I kind of got bored with the one thing. I was like, I'm kind of over this, but my brain picked up something else in its place. So starting in seventh grade, you know, it was just any little imperfection on my skin. And I have keratosis polaris, which I also didn't find out till way, way later. But that's basically like, um, Like, you have little bumps on your arms. They're next to not even noticeable. It has something to do with your follicles, I think. Um, A lot of people have. It's very, very popular. But I would look at my arms and feel like I had to fix any imperfection. So I just started picking at them. And to this day, I have that problem. Like, that's the one that I just, like, I've never really been able to get over. Um, I know in my head that by fixing them, I'm just causing scarring and scabs and it's making them worse. But in the moment, like that feels better to do to fix the problem and just be done with it. So like I wear long sleeves a lot. Like I had a long sleeve wedding dress because I knew that my arms are so scarred that like I can't really do anything about that. So that's when my mom took me to the doctor the first time. But the doctor, so I knew, I was so embarrassed. I knew that I was doing this to myself. 
I didn't know why, but I knew that I caused, was causing my arms to look like this, and I didn't really know how to talk about it. But so my mom wanted to bring me to the doctor, and I kept telling her, no, they're not going to be able to help, they're not going to be able to help. And my mom was like, no, let's just see, let's just see. And she goes to my primary, and she's like, can you just check out her arms? And I was like, reluctantly there. And my doctor goes, oh, yeah, I don't know. It looks like she's picking at her goosebumps. Must just be a nervous habit. She'll grow out of it. And that was it. And here right. I am all these years later. I did not grow out of it. Okay. And, and it was But I suppose, but I guess that's not necessarily untrue. Right. Well, I mean, the other yeah. thing too, I said to her, I was like, it's not my goosebumps. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I'm yeah. like literally right. like doing Like I know what I'm doing, but right. you know, I just, it, I didn't know how to talk about it because I didn't know what it was. You know? Well, so, do you know like, what your, your resistance to kind of talking about it with your doctor was, was, was it in, it's just because you didn't want to know other people to know about like do you know what that kind of that feeling you know, was I, I mean I think there was a little bit of an embarrassment with it because you right. know like I'm causing this problem myself at least for that one and also just like I I didn't really I couldn't really explain why you know like it's always sure like, oh, no, well, why don't you stop that this is that but like with OCD like it OCD doesn't listen to logic so it's no like, it makes sense it I mean it's if somebody were to ask you you know the next question is well why are you doing that and if you don't have an answer I mean it's kind of it, it, it can be especially as a younger person not having an answer for how you did something yeah. even in a more even in a more you know pedestrian situation like you know kids will just do things and then they go why did you do that and they don't have an answer I mean, it's very frustrating so that makes perfect sense so yeah so then um so okay before I graduated high school, I got into a relationship, um, and it went through my first year of college, and the relationship itself was pretty traumatic. Um, my partner at the time had some pretty severe mental illness going on, so for me, um, it was really, really, really difficult. So when we went to school, he went away, and this was my first real, um, I guess, slap in the face of relationship OCD. Um, at the time, I didn't know it. Um, also, this is when the harm OCD came in. So I, I went to FIT. So I was sitting at FIT and I would just like have this constant urge to cry, just completely cry. And I was so scared of becoming depressed, becoming suicidal, all these crazy things. I just like, it would come in my head like, oh, what if I was like that? Or what if this happened to me? Or what would it be like if somebody was going to my funeral or this is that? And it just took over me. So it, it got to the point where it kind of turned into like I to the self-harm OCD. I'd be sitting in class. I remember it so clearly. Like I wish I had a better experience at FIT, but like it was it was hard. I was sitting in class like drawing models and stuff. And I would get super, super all I could describe it as was hyper aware of my wrists. I would just like notice that my wrists were there and if they didn't have like some sort of bracelets on or something they were vulnerable and if they were vulnerable then oh my god what if I accidentally cut slip my wrists right here in the middle of class and like and I would just be I used to have to step out of class and call my boyfriend at the time to like just get some grounding because I guess at the time that was my compulsion maybe the checking of like reassuring I'm okay you're okay <laughs> like things are good but it it wasn't good so I went to therapy through a counselor at FIT I didn't really tell anybody about this um just like my closest friend at FIT at the time but um I went to a counselor there and she was she was not a good therapist she <laughs> She told me that if, I'll never forget it, she told me that if I had four playing cards, three of my cards were already like X'd out from depression because three very important people in my life at the time were struggling with that. And the last card was me. So she was basically like, so how are you holding yourself afloat if you're surrounded with all these things? But then I was like, that just made this 10 times worse. Like, cause now I'm like even more scared. This is my family and my friends. And then, so it was bad. She um, encouraged me. To, she she told me that I don't think you have depression. I think you have an anxiety disorder, and that was my first kind of like language of like, okay, this could be something else. But that's that's kind of where she stopped anxiety disorder, and that's so vague. Like, oh my gosh, so so vague. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So, um, she encouraged me to, like, go get a train ticket without my parents' permission to see my boyfriend, which now, looking back, that was just feeding into my compulsions, and that was a problem. So that was no good. So I stopped seeing her. Then I met my... We broke up, and then I met my cousin, my current um, husband. And things really changed. Like, I he from the start like we started texting and I went right back into my like texting all the time every day like checking in yada 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 and he was a little older though and he was already working and he was like listen like I really like you but like can we like slow down the texting a little bit like I'm at work this (laughs) oh my god I almost freaked out I was like oh he doesn't like me this this that but but no it was the best thing for me because the for the first time in my life without me even realizing it somebody put a complete halt to my obsession my compulsion and like I didn't have anything to do about it so it it helped me so much but because so then that type of stuff stopped I wasn't really getting the harm OCD anymore um but as the relationship got more potent and more serious and I realized wow like this this is really something different that's when like the relationship OCD kind of took over and it was kind of like you know the doubts the every little thing what does this mean what does that mean like and and it was a lot and I thought that it was due to trauma from my last relationship I thought that I was having such a hard time just being happy and being connected because I was so hung up about everything that had happened in my last relationship so that's when I sought out therapy at LIU at my new school um I did all my therapies through school because I didn't want my parents to know about it all I guess like I just I don't know like my parents have been through a lot a lot and they have their own struggles and I just like want it I never wanted to talk about it because like I don't know about you guys but for me if I'm gonna go to a therapy session and unleash everything I don't want to get back into a car with somebody and then be like so how was it like I don't want to talk about how it like I don't want that like well can can I ask so you were um you saw the one therapist the one time that you mentioned at FIT now did you continue that for a while or was it the single time for about four or five sessions Okay, so how how long of a length of time between that and then picking it back up with this one? Years. years. Oh, years, okay. So, like, uh, maybe four years, maybe. Um, because the next time I went to therapy was grad school. So, yeah, about three, four years later. So, so where was the, like, the idea of OCD or the thought of OCD or, or the diagnosis? Where it was that throughout? It so wasn't not even yet. Not even... That whole time? No. Okay. So at that point, all I had known was that I had this terrible therapist that told me she thought I had an anxiety disorder. So I was doubting this relationship. This is that. But I didn't I didn't even, like, connect with any of what she had told me. So, like, I thought that these thoughts and my cycling of trying to figure everything out was normal. Like, I didn't know that, like, that's not what normal people do. And that's not you know, being in this constant state of worry, like, I, I didn't know that, that there was a way to be any way else, because that's just how I always was. So for years, you know, it went on, and I didn't seek out therapy again until grad school, because I knew that my boyfriend at the time was somebody that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and I knew that he was waiting for me to be done with school to propose, And I wanted to take care of myself before that. I wanted to be able to feel connected and not so worried and not thinking so much about the future and what could go wrong because I could just be present and see what can go right. And so that's why I went back. At that point, I still didn't have the label of OCD. I still didn't know. I still thought that I was just doubting so much and so afraid because my last relationship had gone so poorly. So I went. And I think that I was being treated for OCD at this point. Although when I was refreshing on episode 31 today, a good point (laughs) came up that I completely agreed with. They didn't really formally diagnose me. And as a therapist, I remember learning in my classes, the same classes that I learned about OCD in. I remember learning, they told us like, you know, a diagnosis is not always necessary or not always the best thing for your clients because like stigma, because then what about this? Mm-hmm. They might not be treating the symptomology that, that, you know, all that. 
I never yeah. heard that. That's very interesting. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Because, what do you mean? Because I, I do that in my school as well. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to the podcast. Just <laughs> <laughs> Not so much like, you know, physical diagnoses. If there's like something you need antibiotics for, yeah, you need a diagnosis and stuff like that. But for like mental disorders, like the DSM, people want to abolish it. Yes. Um, yes. Because it's, it could be more harmful in some cases to have a label um, for kind of like what you're going through where like, okay, you have anxiety, but that's, yes, you probably do, but yeah. like, that's not it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they kind of tell us too, that like, you know, uh, a lot of these disorders are comorbid, you know? So like, you're not just, which for those of you that don't mean it's, um, you're struggling with more than one disorder for me, luckily it's OCD and that's where I'm staying for now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right comorbid though usually it's a mix of symptoms and you have to treat all of those and it's hard when you have a hardcore label that might not encompass the whole picture right so they also say that the reason for the diagnosis is uh insurance because you have to put some sort of code as to what the diagnosis is so you can get insurance back for it so whatever we learn about all this in school so when i went to therapy he didn't really give me a diagnosis and I thought he was treating me for trauma. So we (laughs) did this like exposure type work, which I know now is for OCD. And um, we like made a hierarchy of, you know, the things that triggered me the most and the things that triggered me the least. And what we would do is, you know, like go through each one and, and expose myself to them. He was a great therapist. It was a very safe environment. I really loved him. Um... That was for about a year. Um, The problem with the center I was going to at my school is that they were, um, what's it called, like um, PhD students going for psychology. And their term for their clinical hours were done after the year. So if you went there, you got a new therapist every year. So I was with him for a while and it worked out really well. But it worked out the same way everything else had for me and didn't realize. I suddenly was, like, over my ex. Like, I wasn't really thinking about it much anymore. You know, whatever traumas from that relationship were, like, overdone with. But then suddenly I was experiencing some vicarious trauma from my internship at the time that triggered a bunch of intrusive thoughts. So so it kind of, like, just moved subtypes, right? And so... He was ending, he was like, okay, like, so what do you think? Like, do you want me to set you up with another, like, therapist for next year? And I was like, I'm kind of having a bunch more, like, distressing feelings over, like, some, like, sexual things and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, he was like, out of his mind, he had no idea that I had, like, started on this whole new thing now. And he was like, oh my god. So he set me up with the next person for the following year. And what that OCD looked like, oh my god, it was so bad. It was, I was, um, interning for art therapy clinical art therapy with sexual assault and rape victims at a center and a lot of these women were around my age and it was really difficult because I mean obviously it was centered here on Long Island so it was really hard to hear about what's happening in like our own backyards we don't even know and something struck me one day in a meeting with the supervisors they said um the definition of sexual assault or something at this point I don't even remember what it was but like something about how it's like any type of unwanted this 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 that and I just remember thinking I had this thought I'm like oh my god is every time I have sex while I'm not in the mood sexual assault (laughs) and I was like oh no and then it took me so long to get over that one because I really had to be like you know like I'm with this person. I want to be with this person. I'm not going to be totally in the mood for sex, like, and totally, totally into it every single time, and that's okay. But at the time, it didn't feel okay because I was like, oh my God, I'm with these girls who are telling me these crazy stories and these distressing things that they're experiencing, and like, oh my God, what if I'm one of them? And, but like, I didn't identify with that. But these were the thoughts that, that would keep me from, you know, being able to live normally. And it was really hard for a while. So at that point, I was still unsure of my diagnosis because nobody said the word OCD to me. (laughs) So I'm in grad school and we're sitting in a psych class and they're like, don't self-diagnose, don't self-diagnose. And then a slide comes up about OCD and I was like, 
I do that bullet, I do that bullet, I do that bullet, and I finally, the next year, the very beginning of that semester when I had that class, I went to the new therapist and I sat down and I was like, I think I have OCD, like, please, like, let's do an assessment, and we did, and it came back very clear that I have OCD, but it wasn't until that moment that I was really strictly treated for the OCD, because all the times before that, it was like, anxiety, like, maybe we're treating OCD maybe we're treating trauma and then finally I was like I figured this out and I need the validation that this is what's going on because I felt crazy like I really Mm -hmm. just felt all over the place well that's what I was thinking about before Kayla when you were talking about and you were mentioning that the the idea of kind of keeping things a little more open and just kind of treating things without labeling them but I think that there does seem to be and this may be because of what a person is used to yeah i don't know if, if if so maybe that's what it is it's just a cultural thing of, of of a diagnosis and a hard label on stuff but it does and we've heard this before from other people with both physical and mental stuff is that it does feel validating to have some sort of diagnosis so i, I guess the question is is that if it's you would know better than I, if it's more effective to treat somebody without the label or maybe it's necessary to treat somebody without some sort of diagnosis label how do you combat the insecurity of the individual who's expecting to receive it? The social model of disability. <laughs> we'll address that. Um, Christy, you go ahead. I saw you were going to. No, it's fine. It's mine. fine. You can answer. I was just going to say, you know, like for some people it's better for some people it's not. But like I would say for anybody listening that like if you're unsure of what's going on and it would make you feel more validated to know, you should definitely ask because they won't, they won't not tell you. Like if you ask and you want to know, then they'll tell you. But I think from a therapist standpoint, sometimes they don't know if that's the right move for you or not. So if right. you feel like you need that, then I encourage everybody to ask. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what you were talking about, Ricky, like is this what we're just used to? It is. Then our society views any illness, mental, physical, whatever have you, as something to be cured. And that's not always the case. Um, And a lot of times people, when they have the diagnosis, they go, great, I'll be better tomorrow. And that's not the case with a lot, most (laughs) probably illnesses that are out there. And it's a lot of treating symptoms and managing and learning to thrive and a lot of that also has to do with just how society treats you and perceives you and there are some people that try to treat symptoms that really shouldn't be treated and think like masking uh like for people with autism or um people with Tourette's things like tics or things that they're trying to mask symptoms of that you shouldn't be ashamed of but people are telling you this is wrong this is different it needs you what is it called so you right. fix it yeah no absolutely there's a lot of that and I mean I think I felt that for a really long time too like I didn't talk about a lot of this stuff for a while because people don't understand like people think they have an idea of what something means or what something is and it's just so far off and, it, and it's like yeah. I in the past like I've lost friends over this like I I tried to tell somebody like really close to me just in passing about like what I was going through and they totally misinterpreted it and then like spread it all around to our friends and I lost an entire friend group that week and it was like one of the most heartbreaking things I've probably ever gone through but like it was hard for me to talk about it because it's like you know clearly people don't understand and they don't even want to understand enough to come ask me about it you know so that was like really hard but you know now being in a place where I could talk about some of these things without feeling they need to cry I feel like more people need to hear about it because I really, there was like a study like forever ago that like about 2% of the world has OCD. I believe that that number is much higher, but people are misdiagnosed or not talking about what they're going through because they don't have these definitions. They don't have this language to put to it. So they don't know, you know, right. so I want to get mm-hmm. it out there. Well, or they think, might, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Gil, I'm sorry. I was going to say like some of these are kind of dark thoughts that you have and they might think that they're a bad person for thinking them and you know your intrusive thought isn't you and we can get that person out of here um but but i was just saying like i think that that's why one of the things that we like about this program this this show is that the anecdotal stuff is sometimes more helpful to identify 
an issue to someone than like more of like a more clinical WebMD type yeah, situation. Absolutely. So you telling your situ- your story and kind of what happened to you and kind of the stuff that you were thinking about or experiencing can kind of maybe note to somebody that this is could be should be something that they should consider if they're having similar inner thoughts or inner experiences. So. Now, did you feel any sort of like shame when you figured out that it was OCD or was it mostly relief? It honestly, I don't know if shame is the word. I want to say like it was a little sad. I had a little bit of trouble with it in the beginning. So like it was half relief because you know what? Actually, no, it wasn't. The relief didn't come till later because I dove into and even so more recently um like researching and researching and the relief really came when I saw other people talking about having very similar thoughts to me and not identifying with them and going through these these things it wasn't really until I saw that like wow you're not the only one that's going through this that I really felt relief but I felt sad at first because OCD is not something you can cure. OCD, it's your brain. Like, for a while, I was really into mindfulness, or I say into in air quotes because uh, I was trying to be really hard because <laughs> I learned through, through research and through my studies that, you know, mindfulness can change the neural pathways of the brain. And I'm like, oh my God, if I have OCD, I'm going to just fix all my neural pathways. But like... That's not how it works, and I had a lot of trouble with a lot of that. So now, instead of, you know, trying to fix that or trying to, you know, be so mindful, I've kind of come to just an acceptance. But it was scary at first because I was like, I'm going to live with this my whole life. Like, this is how my brain is going to work my entire life. And that was sad. Like, that was really a sad moment for me. Like, I had to really come to, like being able to accept that and then wanting to learn how to live with it because at first it was just just so frustrated that I couldn't just get rid of it. Well, I wanted to say, uh, just to make sure, I, cause I, I know you said this, but I want to make sure I read it. So you kind of identified based on the information that you were learning in class that, that you, this is something that seems to check all the boxes. You went back to your therapist and you basically said, is it is it i think it's this based on what i think and then what did he i don't think we got what did what was the therapist response the therapist then said yeah i think that's definitely a possibility let's look into that and we did a very very long assessment and yeah it all checked out so i really think that if i hadn't figured it out for myself and brought it to the therapist's attention that I don't think I ever would have gotten a formal diagnosis. I think we would have just kept on treating like the trauma and or, you know, whatever I was going through in the moment. And the reason why the help never really worked before is because like I didn't have an understanding of OCD. So as soon as I was over something, it just went on to the next and I didn't know why. And so I think it really took me figuring it out for myself to get the proper treatment to like understand it as a whole instead of just treating each situation. That's interesting. That's interesting. We, we, we talk about that quite a bit about like you're kind of uh, the detective kind of putting all the stuff together and even even if the medical doctor or whoever it is means well and is doing the best they can sometimes they still don't have as much of the whole picture as uh as you do because you're living with it every day and so we actually i think this that happens quite often where people are able to kind of put the pieces together mm-hmm. kind of before they're before the doctors and kind of present them the whole thing do you think that so you think that made a difference in your kind of understand like your ability to kind of deal with it is that you kind of figured it out first yeah and I mean like not that not that like I was prideful of that or anything but just to have an answer really helped like right to have a definition to like see that like what I was experiencing was on a list somewhere because other people do that too like that to right. me was like very validating and I needed that yeah I mean certainly if it's if it's uh enough that you would be learning about it as a practitioner it would certainly seem to be uh, it kind of gave you a sense that this was kind of a, a thing that already exists and you know with with that you're kind of part of a thing now I have a question and I don't know if this is a silly question um is there like an opposite side of the coin to OCD are there any like positive obsessions that can come from this, well, this that is don't what really I was asking, hurt you yeah i mean this is what i was asking before i mean in terms of <laughs> I, the intrusiveness thought like i mean is there an intrusive thought that's like you're gonna win this game like you of course you're gonna but i think <laughs> kill what she was saying before and you can correct me on this i it seems to be 
that it's about how it affects you. Right. It's, yeah. So OCD, the intrusive thoughts in OCD are characterized by distressing distressing responses to thoughts that don't align with your values so (laughs) ocd and like oh my god i say this all the time i'm even wearing a sweatshirt that says it today ocd is not an adjective i it is one of my biggest pet peeves when people like post online or something like oh my god this so satisfies my ocd like no Mm -hmm. because you like organization like that's not ocd like OCD is not helpful. It's not yeah. something we strive for, you know? It's it's extremely upsetting to the people that are dealing with it. So, if you think that you're OCD because it's making you feel like aesthetically pleased, then you definitely don't have OCD. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, I'm think I was thinking of it along the lines of like you know like like stereotypically like little boys who love trains kind of thing like they are enamored totally preoccupied by trains but it's not really hurting them um and as i'm learning more about like different neurological things that happen with the brain it seems like they're kind of connected in one way but just of course they're (laughs) terrible things and like it would be so easy if these intrusive thoughts could like turn into positive affirmations that won't get out of your head. But, but then of that course, would, that's not how that it works. Be the, then that wouldn't be considered under that umbrella. Though. It wouldn't. No. No. Well, so yeah. actually, interesting point. Um, so one of the reasons why it was so hard for me in my adult life to figure out what was going on was because a lot of my OCD was mental compulsions. There's something called pure O, which people say is just like, oh, you, you're purely obsessional. But what a lot of practitioners forget is that the compulsions don't need to be physical. Like I have a really good friend that has a lot of physical compulsions. Um, and it's like, where, so like cleaning or organizing yeah, or, or like, like um similar to like ticks like things like that mm-hmm. oh okay so um you know like for example um when i was hand washing in fifth grade another one of my things i still do this sometimes whatever does <laughs> um like when i'm taking a walk down the sidewalk like i used to like whatever foot was stepping over cracks i had to switch to the other foot so that they would both feel even to step over the next few cracks or when I was shutting off the light in my bedroom I had to make sure I touched a certain part of the light thing and if I didn't touch it when I shut it off then I'd re-shut it off before I left my room right that's, so like, that's kind of what you hear about a lot it's like right. somebody they so have, I have to flip it three times yeah that's the physical like that. stuff that I was kind of experiencing in like elementary school um as an adult though it all all went mental except for my skin picking but other than that everything was mental compulsions so a lot of practitioners miss that because you actually are performing compulsions they're just not physical so for example like one mental compulsion is called a mental review or mental checking and what that is is like for example if I had a thought like, oh my God, like what if Joe and I weren't meant to be together? Like the next thing that my brain feels like it has to do is justify why that thought is wrong and why I'm fine. And so I, I go through like, no, you guys had a great day today. Your lives are practically perfect. You're doing this, this, that. There's no issues. There's no. So it was hard because my thoughts weren't matching my reality at all. And I would have to like mentally go through it to reassure myself of that. And at the time, that reassurance felt good because I'm like, oh, okay, that's an OCD thought, that's fine. But that in itself is a compulsion because I just spent 15 minutes sitting on my couch reanalyzing my thought and I totally missed that part of the movie we were watching because I had to sit in that. And so what they teach you in treatment is like, when you have a thought like, oh my God, like what if, what if Joe and I are going to get a divorce in the future? The idea is to be like, maybe, maybe not and leave it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, and then on to your next thing. Because if you feed into the compulsion of checking that and analyzing that, then you're always going to need that to feel better. And it's just going to end up taking more time up of your day when you could be enjoying where you are. So, so you're like validating your own sense of sanity by invalidating your intrusive thought right 
<laughs> right, which is a that's kind of cool. Though. But so like, yeah. so the affirmation thing, like Ricky was saying, um, that's actually a known compulsion that's treated that w- they try to stay away from because it's called negating your negative thoughts, right? So like, if I every time I thought like, oh my god, I hate myself, the next thought like, oh my god, no, I love myself, I love myself, like I'm fine, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. Repeating that affirmation, that's a compulsion. So next mm. time I have a thought that's negative, I'm gonna feel like I need to do that to negate right. it to balance it out. So mm-hmm. where seems the, like it's. I'm sorry. I got, I got no, it's okay. Sorry. I was gonna say the idea that I've learned is you want to get towards radical acceptance, which is just a totally non-judgmental acceptance of what's going on, and right. that for me has really done wonders. Just learning about what that is is like the thought that I know this is gonna happen and I can't stop it. Like I read a post. Um, Whoever wants to check it out, she's obsessively ever after on Instagram. She's awesome. And she talked about her graduation day and how much anxiety she had about it because she did not want to have intrusive thoughts on her graduation day. She did not want to have them. And it was so hard for her. And she had to get to this point of saying to herself, like, I will have intrusive thoughts on my graduation day. They are going to come, but I'm still going to go graduate. And I'm still going to go have a good time. And so it's like just accepting that they're there. And honestly, my wedding day, I was so nervous about the same thing. I was distraught for months, like worrying about, oh my God, what if I panic? What if I'm going to have anxiety? What if I don't want to feel negative on my wedding day? And I went into it with radical acceptance. And I said to myself, you're going to have an intrusive thought at the altar. It's fine. It's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen and it'll be fine. And I went and they brought me to a room to like wait before I like went down the aisle. And I was like, I was just dancing by myself. I was so excited. And like this whole time I thought I was going to be sitting there in a panic. And I went up to the altar and guess what? Did I have an intrusive thought at the altar? Yeah, but I didn't care (laughs) because like I knew it was coming because I accepted it beforehand. And so I think that's more of the work that like. It seems like it's less about just like you're saying with the positive affirmations versus the intrusive thought. It's not about disagreeing or trying to unprove the intrusive thought. It's about just taking the power and the weight and, yes. and away from it. Absolutely. That it's power, weird. that's a big thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of my therapists told me, you know, like when they come up, like you have to separate yourself from the thought because it's so easy to like think that these thoughts must mean something about you. So my therapist told me to envision the thoughts like you know those um screens that you see at like delis that say like open and like the specials with like the words kind of rolling across the screen she literally said she was like picture your thoughts like they're rolling across a billboard screen and that's it like you're separated from them they're on a sign you're over here and they're coming and they're going and that's it and so envisioning them like that kind of helped you know because like they don't have to mean anything and I could just let them pass and go back to the moment that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Radical acceptance is something that my therapist sent me to. He sent me a beautiful spreadsheet about it. Oh, fun. Um, cause, I mean, I, I have intrusive thoughts, but I don't have OCD. Um, and I, again, huge, there is a difference. <laughs> um, but I, I've been carrying that radical acceptance with me through everything. And, you know, I got a big family. There's always something going on <laughs> and kind of just living in that, um, you'll get past this kind of thing. Um, and just like living in the present is hard to do, especially when you have the intrusive thoughts, but it's, and like, like you were talking about envisioning something. He helped me with that. He told me to just envision a stop sign and like something as simple as that actually does. And I guess cause it's big and red and like, just, it does like you were saying, just like, Hey, get out of here. (laughs) Like, like interrupting my own intrusive thought. (laughs) Yeah, and no, but that's so true because for a while I was even having OCD about that. I'm like, oh my God, am I doing this treatment right? Because then the thought is like, (laughs) oh, well, because like as a therapist, you know, I know all the ins and outs. So I'm like, oh my God, well, am I repressing it? Am I avoiding this? Avoidance is a defense mechanism. Now I'm avoiding it. But like my therapist was like, no, like it's not avoidance. Like you are actively practicing like letting go and and choosing you're you're not avoiding you're choosing living your life instead of choosing sitting in this thought cycle and that's a choice that's not avoidance you're actively taking control of your life and you know that's a big thing right mm-hmm. and i i guess in a in a way um like for 
my own intrusive thoughts. It was always like, I guess my brain's way of trying to like prepare myself for trauma um, or like give reason for why bad things happen. Like I remember I used to be like, oh, well, if I don't like wipe up this one little drop of something, my mom's going to slip on it and she's going to die and it's going to be my my fault, even though it would be like impossible for her to slip on like a drop. Um, and just but like stopping myself it, and it's nothing that happened overnight and I think I always want to be transparent about that like we have these people on and they're doing so great now but like <laughs> these things don't happen overnight oh, yeah, how many no, years has it taken you and actually how are you doing now like your wedding just happened mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. this is still right going on I'm doing very well now so yeah I, I'm, I'm doing really well you know looking back and seeing how long I've been going through this like it's really crazy that you know I didn't pick it up sooner or didn't get that help sooner but now so like a couple of months before the wedding like me it, it was COVID it was COVID and COVID was tough my fiance at the time and I were going through some like really tough times like in our relationship like just everything was like really out of sorts and I hit a hard low in my OCD I felt like I did when I went back to when I went to FIT and that scared me because it was like I haven't felt this way in forever and so you know I kind of like I did my thing I I tried to go back to treatment but the treatment was very traumatic it was it was exposure treatment they had me make a hierarchy but my therapist was way too apt to just like put me right at the top of my hierarchy and where like the thing that scared me the most and make me experience that and I said to her I was like shouldn't we start lower and she's like well you not wanting to do this is avoidance so we're gonna do it now where it's just gonna make your things stronger and I'm like oh okay so it was basically having panic attacks like every single session and I just gave up with that I was like we're not I can't I can't handle it so I did a lot more research and a lot more like looking into just like you know what I was experiencing and then getting that validation that other people are going through this too I'm not alone it's okay and then you know it eased up a little bit but I just still felt like my emotions didn't match my reality like I had a wedding coming up and I I just wanted to be excited I so badly wanted to be excited my cousin was planning our wedding like friends were planning weddings and they're so happy and I just didn't feel like my thoughts matched my reality it was really upsetting so I actually went to my primary and I was like I don't know what to do like do you want to refer me to a psychiatrist like should I I had never considered meds before I never wanted to but through that time um my anxiety tends to spark my asthma a lot so my uncle has really bad asthma too my inhalers were not working they weren't doing anything and my uncle was like it's definitely anxiety and so I was like popping a Xanax here and there to get my asthma to stop because my it was related to the anxiety not to the asthma so I was like okay this isn't working like I was like eating CBD gummies like nuts trying to get myself to calm down (laughs) so I went to my doctor I was like this isn't working like what is going on and she actually started me on a medication for my first time in my entire life and Like, this was just a few months before the wedding, and I, for the first time, I was like, this is what it's like to watch a movie. Like, (laughs) I'm not in my thoughts this whole movie. Like, I'm not worried about something. Like, it was really crazy. I was like, oh my god, I've been living my whole life like this that I didn't even know what it was like to not. And so, you know around that time is when I decided like I'm gonna go talk to Kayla and Ricky because I was like <laughs> wow I could talk about it without having a mental breakdown <laughs> like this is nice <laughs> so uh yeah here we are <laughs> so yay drugs <laughs> yeah we're always we're the second step when everyone starts taking drugs it goes drugs <laughs> and, then, guys- then the, and then the podcast that's right yeah <laughs> that's so funny Drugs and or therapy. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, so on the therapy front, I stopped for a little bit because my last therapy was that really crazy traumatic exposure therapy. So I started the medication and I'm like, I feel like a different person. It's like really crazy, like so, so crazy. I was excited for things again. I was like, wow, I could live my life without all these worries. And, And now, even like now that we're married and the whole pressure of like, getting married is such a huge deal and now that we're there I'm like we're planning our postponed party and I'm like so excited about it and like I'm so glad that I'm kind of on medication and that we already did it because I feel like I have this new like new chance now to just enjoy it which is really cool so that's great yeah I'm so excited 
I feel like you're like reborn. I know. It's really weird. (laughs) But in a good way, in a good way, but weird. So, but yeah, so I've been more vocal about it on social media. Um, I never really dove into all my exact, you know, obsessions and this and this and that. But, um, but I'm definitely, you know, trying to advocate more for like, hey, people are going through this. Like, it's okay. Even though your thoughts are telling you like, oh, you're going to be a terrible mom. Like, still have kids. Like, even though your thoughts are telling you, oh my God, this person might not be for you. Like, still go on that date. Still get married. Because like, you want to choose your decisions based off your values, not based off your intrusive thoughts, not based off what your brain is going in circles about. You want to make decisions based off what your values are telling you are important to you. And I think that, you know, that's the way to go. I love that. I was just going to ask if there's anything you'd want others to know about your experience, but that kind of is yeah. a really good. nice summary. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty good. No, definitely. Um, yeah, just that, you know, all that and just, you know, you're not alone. There are other people going through these things too. Most likely there's a name for what you're going through and you're not crazy. Your brain's not broken. Um you know, and you can live a great life too. Mm-hmm. And even if there isn't a name for what they're going through, the diagnosis journey is ever changing. So if there's not a name for it now, there will be eventually. Yeah. So I guess moral, there are other people that are out there that, that are going through the yeah. same thing you are. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you were finally ready to come on and talk to us about it. Cause I saw like a little bit, a tiny bit of like advocacy slowly coming out. And then I was so happy when you finally messaged us. Cause you would like send us your two cents on like our little Q and A's that we put up on there. And I'm, I'm always so proud when people are ready to come and talk about it because it's not easy, especially when it's something that's so misunderstood and stigmatized. So thank you for coming on and explaining all of this in from a professional standpoint because no, I totally forgot that you are an art therapist. Um, but also from your personal experience, you offered a really great insight, you know, qualitative and quantitative today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm really glad you guys had me on too because you know, important information and important work you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell the audience today? Nope, I think that's it. So just a sick invite. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. Yay.